Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you to our worship team for leading us. It was awesome, as always. I'm sure you're like me, and you're so uh, just so great to hear about the mission trip and, and the, the trip to Mexico and hear from our high schoolers. Didn't you enjoy that? And uh, one of the things that I was observing is that um, Joel has less hair than I was used to seeing. Are you, do you guys notice that? I mean, do you, do you follow Joel, you know? Um, and, and Joel, um, I think your hair looks great. Yeah. But, but I think he did it for more than a fashion statement. Um, Joel put out a, Joel and Abby put out a challenge to the youth and said, if you'll read the New Testament in 50 days, um, that Joel will shave his head. Notice Abby didn't say, I will shave my head too. So, uh, so anyways, I think they're humming along and a few students, I think two, right, came to you and said that they had read the New Testament in 50 days. When are you going to shave your head, man? And... And so they were, they were quizzed, and, they, and Joel and Abby asked them things that they learned, and man, they just delivered. And so sure enough, um, out there, if you follow us on Instagram or any of the social media stuff, it might be worth following us just for these kinds of updates. But, but Joel's out there with the, with the clippers, and then he looks like this now. Isn't that beautiful? So yeah, good job, you guys. Good job. I think the point of that whole story is not Joel's shaved head, but it's the reading of the Word of God and, uh, and teenagers that are getting excited about Jesus, getting excited about God's Word and, and learning about Him through Scripture. And so, um, so you guys are doing an outstanding job. In fact, our whole team is amazing. If you were able to check it out um, on Friday, we had a skate night, and it was so much fun, man. We, we, we transformed the whole back parking lot into a, just a skate park. There was uh, obstacles, kids riding bicycles, scooters, uh, there was food, there were Volkswagens there. All, it was just amazing. And nobody got hurt and everybody had fun. We had a ton of people come out and it was a beautiful time. And so I love, I love that about our church. I love that it's a place we can just kind of open up our backyard, hang out with people, talk about Jesus and, and enjoy the time. So I just wanted to affirm everybody who came and helped with that, especially um, our team who did such a good job at, at keeping that um, just, uh, just a fun and awesome event. So great job, guys. And you can thank everybody for that. So this morning we're going to be in Exodus chapter 29. Everybody say Exodus chapter 29. Man, can you believe we have made it this far in the book of Exodus? It's amazing. How many of you are just saying like this is, I never thought Exodus could be so amazing, right? You're thinking that right now. And we're, we're going to keep going. We're going to get all the way through the book. And um, I, I love Pastor Andy's message a couple weeks ago and how he just mined pure gold out of Exodus 28. And I had to like smirk and smile as he was talking about how hard it was and the difficulties of getting through it. And then I hit Exodus 29 and I'm like, yeah, me too. I get it. <laughs> not only do I get it, I get excited about it because at first glance when you read God's word and especially when you're reading the Old Testament, at first glance you want to just go, what? And kind of give up, right? There are certain passages where it gets into things like killing animals and touching their blood and stuff like that that you're just like, what, what does this mean? But if you stay in it and if you begin to really ask the Holy Spirit to show you, you find such pure gold. In fact, the whole Bible, every single verse has meaning. And there's the, the power of the Holy Spirit to speak to you through every verse of Scripture. Do you believe that? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Should we do Father Abraham? Father Abraham, have many sons. All the um, people who went to church when they were kids are thinking that's funny. Everybody else is like, what? I pull the Father Abraham joke every once in a while. So maybe too often. Anyways. 
every word of it is truth, and every word of it speaks to us. But as you're, as you're reading through the Old Testament, um, you do have to ask yourself questions. And I repeat this quite often, um, but you, you ask yourself, what am I learning about God? What am I learning about his character as I read through this? What am I learning about human nature? What am I discovering about people? But I think, like, as you read some passages like this chapter, you ask this question, so what? Everybody say, so what? You you ask, so what? But you don't ask it in like a snide sort of sarcastic way, like, so what? But like, it's like, so what? So what does this mean to my life? Isn't that the point? Like, we could all have knowledge of God's word. We could all have knowledge of scripture. But if it doesn't do anything, then what is it for? Right? And so today, as we read chapter 29, um, we're going to talk about consecration and ordination. Right? This is what's happening in this chapter, that the priests are being consecrated and ordained for the service that God has called them into. And it is quite detailed. It's quite detailed in, in what um, they were asked to do, what Moses was, was told needed to happen. The, what we're going to read today in Exodus 29 is later fulfilled in Leviticus chapter 8. So this stuff was being spoken. Remember where we find ourselves in the story of Exodus, that, that the children of Israel are encamped by the mountain that God is talking to Moses and it's taking a little while. How many of you love to just like wait for stuff? Yeah, they didn't love to wait for stuff, but yet they could see from the mountain that something was happening up there. There was a cloud. There was like, there was theatrics. There was stuff happening on the mountain so that you could tell the presence of God was there and and God was speaking. And so there they find themselves and, and God is giving tremendous detail to what he wants to see happen. Um, the, the, the consecration and the ordination that we're going to read about today, it deals with um, animals, right? That there's animal sacrifice that's involved. Fortunately, we don't do this today. I'm so grateful that, that we don't have a, like a slaughterhouse and an altar and that we have to do these things, right? But this was very much a part of this culture and society. This was very much a part of the Hebrew world. And it wasn't like, uh, you, you can't read this stuff through our Western lenses, that this was an agricultural society, that they understood the land, they were connected to the land, they were, they were connected to the animals, and not like in some anim- like New Age kind of way. I'm saying that there wasn't just this sort of industrial vision of what we have with the land and what we have with agriculture on animals, meaning that just we just wipe stuff out or slaughter a bunch of animals and sell it and whatever else. There was a relationship, a connection that they had with the land, and that's going to be important as you as you hear um, what they what they go through in terms of the sacrifice of the animals. Um, and and so in this um, portion of scripture, we first want to look at these two words. Um, first, consecration. I mean, it's a it's a term that I think that we we probably understand. But there's a, a progression, and there's several progressions as you read through this chapter. And the first thing I want to draw your attention to is consecration comes first. Consecration is to set apart or to, to make holy. It's, um, it's defined like this, to make or declare to be sacred by a certain ceremony, to make holy or devote oneself to the service or worship of God. I'll say that again. Consecration is to make or declare to be sacred, right? To be different. This isn't just like standard business as usual. It's, it's to, um, to a ceremony that sets apart or to make holy or devote one to the service and worship of God. The very first verse that I'll read to you says, this is what you have to do to consecrate the priests. And following comes a lot of detail. We're going to get probably about halfway through it today. 
What I want you to understand about consecration, what I'd, I'd love for you to be thinking about throughout this sermon is that um, consecration comes first and consecration is a, a, a choice. There are choices that you and I can make to set ourselves apart to be holy as unto God. Okay, I don't, I don't mean self-righteousness, but there are certain things that we can choose in our day-to-day to devote ourselves to God, to be aware, to be those who listen, to be those who want, want to do God's work, to be those who want to walk uprightly before God. Um, we, can, we can choose to, to see the world around us and complain about it, right? Complain about how bad it is. And I'm guilty of doing that just as much as I, I know a lot of you. You do it too. Um, I'm guilty of that as well. So I'm not standing on a soapbox. But I'm saying the difference comes between like seeing how bad it is to taking a step back and say, God, I devote myself for this moment in time to walk uprightly with you that I might be part of the instrument of your blessing, of your salvation, of your mission on the earth in this moment. Okay, It's, it's a very active decision. Does that make sense? We were having prayer at the Steps of City Hall a while ago and one of the young ladies that prayed just prayed the most beautiful prayer. And she talked about in her prayer about the difficulties of what's going on in our world right now. And then she thanked God for being alive in this moment, for being one who's called to be alive in this complicated moment to be an instrument of God's hands. Do you feel that way? Sometimes I do, but a lot of times I'm like, oh. You hear about the glory days of revival times in the 60s, or you hear about the glory days before that. And, and you know what I've, I've learned in my, in, in, in my many years on this earth? I've learned that the good old days aren't as good as we make them out to be sometimes. Is that true? So these are the good old days. These are the good old days. And so you have a choice in this moment to walk consecrated in the good old days. And, and, and there's an interesting progression that comes. Because in this chapter, consecration is first. And then second comes ordination. When I say ordination, you probably think it's those who are professional pastors, right? Like those who, who have the, the ordination. They went through a ceremony or there's something that they went through um, that, that, that calls them out to be different. The, the reality of it is, and Pastor Andy read this over us last week in, in Second Peter. It tells us that we are this kingdom of priests. This is God's dream. That we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, right? Do you remember that? I'm going to read it to you in a minute. You're accountable after I, I read it to you, right? So, but, but for those of us that are, are called to, to be a, a, about God's service, that we are ordained. And this is, this is, when you think of ordination, this is what I want you to think of. This is a biblical definition of ordination. It means set in place, okay? Set in place, it's not, a, <clears throat> it's, it's not like some are ordained and not are ordained. That's sort of like a, a, amongst ministry circles. You know, you get, like, you get these questions like, hey, uh, how many people go to your church? You know? And then if you're not like in a senior role, are you ordained? Right? Like that's like a status. Ordination is not a status. Ordination is a result of consecration. Do you follow me? I hope you do. This is such good stuff. I want you to love it. Not just love it so that, so that, you know, I feel good that I taught you today, but this is, this is really powerful, right? And, and I think it's, it's not only just powerful, like, hmm, that was a good message. This is transformational. 
And I think God has something really special for us. And so for those that choose to live this consecrated life, you also open up the door for God to set you somewhere, right? And just like that prayer that I prayed from that young lady who, who she, she is living this consecrated life and grateful that God has set her in 2022 in Orange County in the middle of all kinds of chaotic and weird stuff. But the hunger in the heart is Holy Spirit come and move in this moment. And I can't wait to see what you do. You can't have ordination without consecration. They go hand in hand. And one comes before the other. My choice to allow God to work in me leads to God being able to set me where he wants to put me. And that goes for those that stand behind a pulpit, for those that, that, that work in a fast food restaurant, for those that are attending school, for those that are in upper management or making their way up into management. Whatever it is that you do, if you live a consecrated life, choosing to allow the Spirit of God to work in and through you, then He will place you where you need to be. And when He places you somewhere, it's just like, all right, this is my mission. And so that's, the, that's the, some of the takeaway. That's some of the so what of, of Exodus 29. And um, there's some examples, plenty of examples in the New Testament um, of this consecration and ordination. The first one that I want to look at uh, is in Acts chapter 13. And so if you would turn there in, the, in your Bible with me and, and we'll have it up on the screen. Acts chapter 13 in verses 2 and 3. As I said, ordination is, is a, a, to set in place or designation. It's translated as an appointment. In fact, in Scripture, as you read it, it God not only places people in appointments, but He also ordains uh, seasons and times, right? So He sets things in motions and, and, and in place. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 2, it's the same idea in the New Testament of ordination. And notice what's happening in this, this church is that they're, they're worshiping to the Lord and fasting. And I love this term. The Holy Spirit said. Do you realize that the Holy Spirit has stuff to say? Like I love that there's quotes after that. The Holy Spirit said. And, and don't um, underestimate the promptings of your heart. Don't underestimate those, those ideas that come into your mind that you know are not from you. Don't underestimate the whispers as you read God's word and, there, and something makes sense to you. The Holy Spirit said, right? And the Holy Spirit is speaking. And this is what the Spirit says. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. I, I, I would bring you back to this statement that the Holy Spirit said. There is this partnership that we have in consecration. I was asking myself the question, who consecrates, me or God? And the answer is yes. There's stuff that I do that I position myself for and you do. We position ourselves for the, the transformational work of the Spirit. And there's stuff that God does as we do it. It's, it's relational. Ordination... God sets in motion. Notice this in, in Acts. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me these guys for this thing. I get a little nervous and worried when someone aspires to do something, uh, uh, maybe in ministry or whatever else, because it's like their dream to take the platform. I, I don't want to be negative when I say this, but sometimes I'll watch a YouTube video or something, and it'll be, maybe be like a, a worship leader talking about taking the stage and the energy of the crowd and whatever else, and I get a little worried. I'm glad Ben's not like that. You know, 
the most down-to-earth guy you'll ever meet who loves Jesus and just loves to worship and just gives stuff away. Like, you know, he's not sitting up here going, this is me and my guitar and everybody else, you just support me. It's like, no, you lead, you lead, you lead. Hey, you out there, you can sing, you lead. No, but, but, but the point is this. That we can aspire towards this, this like status in ministry. Go, man, one day, wouldn't it be amazing to stand in front of all those people and, and preach? Or man, wouldn't that be awesome to, to lead worship in front of those people and the crowd just cheering? But what, what we, we see in here is that, that the Holy Spirit says, I want that person and that person, and they're set apart for this. And, and each one of us are set apart for something. Do you believe that? And part of the application is this, and it might come as a little bit of sting, but if you're unsettled with where you're, where you're situated, if you're unsettled to where you find yourself, you've got to look backwards and check your consecration. Check your partnership with Jesus in these areas. If there's things that you've yet to see or you believe that God has an appointment for you, but it's not happening, you do your part in, in partnering with the Holy Spirit to live a consecrated life and watch what He does to swing doors open and whatever that door is. If it's as simple as bringing a meal to someone or it's as just speaking a word of truth from God's word to someone or, or preaching in front of 5,000 people, it doesn't matter. Just watch what He does and where He appoints you and be faithful. Does that make sense? I believe that's a word for somebody for sure. And so, um, so as we jump in now, that was the longest intro. I've still got some more to go. Man, I hope you guys don't have plans this afternoon because <laughs> 29, here we come. All right, I'm going to read it to you. Here we go. Exodus chapter 29. Now this is what you shall do to consecrate them. And he's speaking of Aaron and his, and his sons. That they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams. Everybody say, one bull, two rams. Without blemish and unleavened bread and unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And you shall have um, them on uh, a fine wheat and flour and you shall put them on the basket and bring them on the basket and, and the bull and the two rams. And you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. And you shall take their garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod. You guys know all about the ephod because Andy told you. And the ephod and the breast piece, and gird them with skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set on them the, the turban, or set on him the turban on his head, and put the crown, the holy crown on the turban. And you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. And then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. And then you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by statute forever. And thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. In verse 10, you still with me? You shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. And you shall kill the bull and put the... And, and, you shall kill the bull. I thought that would be a great title for a sermon, by the way. Kill the bull. And we could go in a whole different direction. Um, 
sorry, before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and you shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. You're touching the blood, putting it on the altar. And the rest of the blood you shall pour out on the base of the altar. This is stuff people read and go, Christians are weird. All right, here we keep going. And then you shall take the fat that covers the entrails along with the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung, and I said dung, shall be burned with the fire outside its camp. It is a sin offering. That that was very appropriate, that sin would be attached to that part of the body of the bull. Verse 15, and this is maybe where you could pay some special attention where we're going to center in. And you shall take one of the rams, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. And you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and throw it against the sides of the altar. And you should cut the ram in pieces and wash its entrails and its legs. And you shall put them with its pieces and its head. And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It's a burnt offering to the Lord. It's pleasing aroma. It's a food offering. In verse 19. And then the other ram. And, uh, then you shall take the other ram. And Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. And you shall kill the ram. Now pay attention here. And you shall, shall take part of its blood... And put it on the tip of the right ear, on the tip, and on the tip of the right ears of his sons. And, and, then, um, and then on the thumbs of their right hands, and on their great toe of their right feet. Do you follow in this? A little blood on the right ear, a little blood on the right thumb, and a little blood on the right toe. And again, this is sometimes where we go, what? and kind of go, can I read like the Psalms or something? Like, I'm totally into Matthew. Okay, so anyways. And then, um, and then, then this is, and then throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. And then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar and the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and, its, and his garments and the son and his sons and his garments with them. And his garments shall be holy, and his son's garments with him. And then you shall take the fat from the ram, and the fat tail, and the fat that covers the entrails, along with the long lobe of liver, and the two kidneys, that is the fat on them, and the right thigh, for the ram of ordination, of course, you guys knew that, and, and one loaf of bread, and cake made with oil, and the wafer of the baskets of the unleavened bread before the Lord, and you shall put all these on the, palms, on the palm of Aaron and on the palm of his sons, and wave them as an offering before the Lord, and then you shall take from them and their hands, and burn them on the altar on the top of the burnt offering as a pleasing aroma... Before the Lord, it is a food offering. Praise ye the Lord. That's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot. It's God's word. And so what does it mean? And so what? Like, so what? I think let's jump to verse, um, verse 4. And let's walk through this a little bit. Let's walk through the progressions of it. Bring Aaron and his son to the entrance of the tent of meeting. The entrance of the tent of meeting is important for this reason. It's a public place. There's parts of the tabernacle that you might remember we went through a few weeks ago. And the tent of meeting is where everybody can see. And the very first thing that you read in this portion of scripture is that the steps toward consecration dealt, the first thing was washing, right? And so picture this, Aaron and, and his, his sons are brought to a public place and their, their bodies are washed in front of everybody. 
And the, the thought that comes into your mind first and foremost is this, is that that would be a little bit embarrassing, wouldn't you think? That, that, and not only would it maybe embarrassing be the word for it, but it would be humbling. It would be humbling. And the takeaway is that, that their bodies are washed and then their clothes are washed. The takeaway is this, that when we want to live pure before God, it's a public thing. When we want to live righteously before God, it doesn't come easily. It requires humility. I, I was thinking back in, in seasons of my life, and um, particularly one when I was in my early 20s and I was living in, in a community of believers in, in Youth with a Mission, a bunch of missionaries that were together, and we were living in this large area, and there were many people. And um, it was a training center, and we would fast and pray. And, and at, at a time of fasting and prayer, I'll never forget this, and I, it just stuck with me, that there would be times when we were just worshiping together as a community. So there would be a couple hundred people there. And then I remember um, repentance would begin to break out. And it wasn't coerced. It wasn't like the leader came up and said, I know you're a bunch of sinners, and those of you that I know you're sin, come up here and tell everybody. Right? That would be kind of cultic. Um, th this was just as people worshiped, you began to sense this, like, the weight of God's spirit and conviction would fall and you would start to see people in tears and then the, I, the first time this happened I was like this is just wild somebody walked up and they, they said can I say something and they took the microphone and they, they said I, I, I want to I confess some sin in my life and the reason I'm confessing it here to everybody is because it affects everybody and the person said at night I've been going into the kitchen and I've been, I've been stealing food I've been taking and making myself, just helping myself to a sandwich and whatever else is there. And, you know, you could think on one level like, hey, big deal, right? Big deal. There's food there. You're, you're eating the food. What's the big deal? It was a huge deal to that person because the Holy Spirit had convicted them to the point where they would be willing to say, I'm not going to allow theft in my life or I'm not going to allow things to be done in secret. And I want to ask your forgiveness. And, 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 of course, everybody in the room that was there would be like, you're going to give us a minute to think about that, man. That's our food you're messing with. No, that, that humility and that confession and that willingness to be holy before God, that everything matters, right? And, the, and it was responded with, like, man, we forgive you. And the, the tears were met with, with embraces. And, and, and then there was a teachable moment to, to watch what the Spirit does when people walk together communally in a holy atmosphere. And some of you are shaking your heads because you've, you've been in similar things things, but the question becomes, man, when was the last time that we were worshiping God together, and it was like, let your praises fill the temple, and then you're like, man, I just shouldn't have done such and such, and you just shove it away, maybe, and I'm not, I'm not speaking at you, I'm speaking with you right now, to where we've chosen maybe to live a little less of a consecrated life, and go, well, I just did that because everybody's doing that, or blah, 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 instead of just going, Holy Spirit, forgive me. Forgive me for that thing and, and fine-tune something in me of conviction that I might be free from the sins that I commit in my life because I, I want to live consecrated so that I can live appointed. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. The washing was public. The washing was, was hum humiliating in some ways and bringing humility. And, and, and the washing in public um, showed, for, showed, showed everybody that to, to live this way there was accountability that this is a different kind of life following the, um, the, the washing um, you can read in verse 5 that they were given garments and they were put on them 
they were given this ephod and the breast piece and they were skillfully woven things and these weren't like cheaply made items you, you, you read before it took tremendous skill and time and they were, they were much different than other kinds of clothing and the point and the takeaway for us and the so what for us is that we don't get to sort of undercover hide if we want to live a consecrated life, that it has an outward um, expression, that you will be different. You will be the different one when you choose to live out a consecrated life. It, it, it affects your presentation, how you look. It doesn't mean that you buy Christian t-shirts. That's not what it's saying. It's, it's, it's telling us there's something different. And you can't just blend in if you're a priest. Priests don't just blend in. Everybody knew the priest was there. And it's not because he had to tell everyone, I'm a priest. Give me a discount. <laughs> Verse 7. After the, the washing and then the clothing, it made me think of the New Testament that we can be clothed in righteousness. Not of our own, but because of what Jesus has done for us. These clothes were not clothes they made. Somebody else made these clothes and gave them to them. You know, in, in your faith, in your walking with Jesus and in the holiness that you desire, Jesus made that for you. He gave you the ability to be clothed with righteousness. If you try to achieve righteousness on your own, that's called what? Self-righteousness, right? Self-righteousness. But they were given clothes. You've been given clothes and you can put them on. After being washed, they were clothed, and then finally they were anointed, right? The anointing, and, and this is a, a, a beautiful picture. It says, you shall take the anointing oil, and the word is pour it on their head. I think sometimes that we have um, an, the anointing of oil for healing or whatever else, and maybe you've experienced that before where someone puts a nice little dab of oil on your forehead. Maybe they make it in the sign of a cross. It's not, I'm not making fun of making light of that, but this is different. This oil was like liberally just poured out upon them, and it got all over over them. It got all over their clothes. I remember I went to a conference one time, and you, many of you know who Jack Hayford is from the Foursquare denomination, and I remember it was all pastors that were there. He goes, I want all the pastors here. There's like 50 of us, and he just went in. He goes, I want to anoint you, and he had like this tub of oil, and he just goes, Kush! and he was just like, Kush! it was oil fest everywhere, you know? It was this understanding that, that when God pours out, His anointing in your life is, is very bountiful. There's a lot of it. It's not just a little. And that anointing isn't just for pastors. It's for all the priesthood of believers. This is what it says in 1 John 20, um, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 20. You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you, ha you all have knowledge. You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Jesus himself was so, um, like, it was almost like you could sense the anticipation for him to complete his mission so he could give the Spirit, right? And, and in Luke chapter 11 and verse 13, it's talking about um, the, the generosity of God in this way. Is if you then, earthly fathers um, are, are, who are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Again, last one, John, um, Gospel of John, chapter 20 and verse 1, excuse me, verse 21. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
And then he says, if, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. There was something about the gift of the Holy Spirit breathed on people that enabled them to walk out a priestly duty, forgiveness of sins, and so forth. And that is for all of you. Um, you know, in, in Acts chapter 2, what does it say? The, the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Right? I will pour out this liberal pouring out of his oil. I think the, the thing that I got so excited the more that I, I sat in this and I really read, it was the full sensory experience. And sometimes our relationship with God is so just like kind of one or two dimensional. You know, that... that it's so limited in terms of what God really has for us. You think of what, what they were experiencing and all the detail that God wanted. The, the, the animals had like life, right? These weren't lifeless animals. How many of you have pets of any kind? Come on, just raise your hand. This is the part where we interact with one another. Just teasing. I know you have a cat, dude. It's got no hair. Okay, so anyways... Um, we all understand something about animals is that they are really like this gift from God, especially if it's our animal, you know, that, that we all know that our animal is a gift from God. And, but this special relationship that you have, like if you have like a really great dog, the unconditional love that you get, but even if you don't like animals and even if you don't like dogs, cats, hamsters, or whatever else, and we've had like every pet, um, even if you don't like them, there's something as a human that if you, that's why there's zoos. Like you go to look at animals, right? And there's something amazing about a life that's different than you but still alive. Are you with me? And so when you see, like even in the, the mission video and, and, and um, you saw uh, Sydney walk up to that goat, you know, and, and getting really close to that goat. We're just, in, we're, we're impressed by animals. And so when, when, you, when you read about this stuff that, that happens, this full sensory experience, you, you have these priests that, are, that three animals are brought before them, a bull and two rams. And what do you read that, that, I remember I read it to you, that they walked over to them and they put their hands on them. Have you ever put your hand on an animal before? Putting your hand on that animal makes him real, Right? You put that, you feel the, the bristly fur, you know, and, and you're like, shoot, don't bite me. You're alive. You have a will of your own. And you, you put your hand on that animal, and that's what they did. And when they were doing that, I couldn't help but think, I know what was happening there. I know that this was transfer, right? So in the, in the priestly system, in, in their system, they couldn't do their, they couldn't, um, couldn't hit the mark, right? They couldn't fulfill what they were called to do. They, were, they had sinned. And, and for priests, in order to be as pure and holy as they could be, they couldn't give it their best at that moment. But this animal was going to give its best in just a moment, which would be its life. And so as they're placing their hand on the animal, they're transferring the sin and the, the, the things that don't hit the mark in their life. But I know that. But I'm like, their hand is on the animal. They're putting their hand on the head of the animal. They're having some kind of connection with the animal. Are you following with me? This is important stuff. They have some kind of connection. And so when they have that connection with the animal, the next thing that the Bible says is kill it. Have you ever been around an animal that's killed? This is different now than going to the zoo. It reminds me of a story when um, we, we like to fish. And I remember I was fishing at the river and I was pulling in trout like a mac. I'm just pulling them in one after the other. They were this big. No, I'm just kidding. So I'm pulling in trout. And, and Kate was really little. And I don't know, maybe you were like 
three or four. Sorry, I spit. There are like three or four. And then um, she's hanging out with me kind of in the little pool there. And I would pull up a trout and put it on the stringer. And then she would come over and she would start playing with the fish. And she was naming all the fish. And, you know, I loved that about Kate as a little girl. I would go fishing and I'd, I'd take the worms after and I'd just put them on the table. She'd be like, yeah, playing with the worms and everything. Just not afraid to get in there and touch things and just, you know, be, be a part of creation. So she's playing with the, the fish and she's naming it. And then I'm catching more and I go over to the stringer and she's just I'm like this is amazing and dad and his daughter she's right there with me just hanging out I'm like this is the most beautiful moment ever and then I remember I lean down and and I take one of the fish while she's still playing with another and I put my fillet knife in the fish and I rip the fish open and start pulling out the entrails and there's blood and everything else and I remember my poor daughter just goes Like, for me, it was completely normal. I wasn't being cruel. I wasn't, like, throwing the fish on the ground and making fun of it. I'm just doing the next thing, right? You catch them to eat them. And I was cleaning the fish. And I had no concept that my pure little daughter had, had not experienced that before. But she had made a connection with the fish. She was playing with the fish. She named the fish. And now Dad was killing the dead fish she thought was alive. <laughs> It brought me back to that because as I'm reading the Bible and it's and I'm saying so what I want to see it with new eyes. I don't want to just go oh the old you know in the Old Testament you sacrifice animals now there's Jesus and we don't have to sacrifice animals. You can get stuck in like this rote, but there's a tie-in. And man, if you'll be patient with me, I want to nail this because it's like oh it so hit me that that when when you when you have this connection with the animal you have connection with the now the, the blood right blood you have blood they have blood and and there's something that is very real that's happening and by the way there are there's touch there's a a smell that's happening you're seeing these things and and it's full sensory because on this sacrifice ultimately they'll eat these things as well and all the while there's more that, that's done symbolically, right? It gets to this point where um, they transfer the blood and then, and then they, they're marked by the blood, right? And as they're marked by the blood, it was almost like, man, more weird Exodus stuff. Like sometimes we'll talk when we're in the church office and talk about things like, oh yeah, I was reading that. I don't know what that's all about. And then you, you read it a little more. Now, they take the blood that's real, of the animal that they had their hand on, that they saw killed, there were, it was a moment, that blood is marking them now. And where does it mark them? The first place that it marks them is on their right ear. Everybody say right ear. The right ear was important because for the Hebrew culture, and much like ours, most people are right-handed, so right is the dominant side. Right? And the, the hearing, the ear, may, may the ear of the priest... Be marked with the blood of sacrifice, right? That I could hear the way I'm supposed to hear. Because outside of the sacrifice, I can't do it. That's why I needed the sacrifice. And so the blood reminds me that I want to hear through the holiness of the sacrifice. Does that make sense? The second thing that's, that, that's marked is the thumb. Everybody's go like this. Yeah. The thumb. Now look at your thumb for a minute, because I didn't know this until this week. Do you, do you know that your thumb is not a finger? It's a thumb. It's called a thumb for a reason. Look at your other fingers, you know. You got those joints. You have two of them that are there. 
and the movement is different. How many are on your thumb? Just one. Your thumb is, 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 is like fiercely strong compared to your other fingers. And it is so important for your hand. It's so important for anything that you want to do that requires skill or the use of tools. If you don't have your thumb, you can't grip. You can find ways around it. Some have endured um, uh, difficult tragedies or maybe were born without a thumb. And there's ways that you can adapt, but you can't adapt to the strength that you were created to have without your thumb. And so when you try to grab something, your thumb is working with the other fingers to, to produce something of, of a grip, right? Man, this will get you down a wormhole if you search some of this on the internet. They'll be like, which, which would be the most important finger? If you had to have one chopped off, which one should it be? You know, and there's debates about that. But the point is that this is a standalone, and it's very important. And to have the blood of sacrifice that you're connected with, that you realize, I needed that blood because I'm not good enough on my own, and I want to remember that the work that I do as a priest unto the Lord needs to be through the sacrifice. It needs to be through what only He could do in me. And so I want to work skillfully, so I want to be reminded that this very important digit is is. Marked by the blood. Now the last thing I thought was interesting until you do some research. Why the big toe? Right? How many of you just like love your big toe? <laughs> it's, it's rare, but there are people. And generally speaking, the big toe is not the prettiest toe on the foot. Um, mine has a funky shape to it. And I'm okay with it. But I, I like my big toe. And... and, and you know, I hope you like your big toe too, but regardless of that, it's very important to you. On the right side of your body, your big toe bears the majority of the weight for your balance. You take off that toe, you will be what? Imbalanced, right? Yeah, you can, you can adapt, you can figure out new ways to walk, but you won't walk the same and you won't walk with the same balance without your big toe. Now, isn't that interesting that in the ordination, in the consecration, that through the sacrifice of an animal that you're connected with, that you see the blood marking your toe, a constant reminder, a reminder to you, I want to walk in balance. I want to walk uprightly before God. And I can only do that by understanding and knowing the sacrifice. Wow. The blood on the right ear, the blood on the right thumb, the blood on the right toe. Jesus had a lot to say about um, our ears, right? After he would say something particularly difficult, he would say, those who have ears, let them hear. Jesus could see everybody well and knew that everyone in the crowd had ears. It's rare to find somebody without an ear. So we know he was speaking figuratively, that, that with these difficult statements, with these things, those who have ears, let them perceive, let them discern. It's only through the understanding of the sacrifice that we can discern, that we can hear through marked ears. And remember in Revelation, he, he speaks to the seven churches, those who have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, right? Again, it's this understanding, it's prayer for, for discernment in this moment of living a consecrated life. Um, our, our thumbs, the work that we're called to do. I, I, I put, God help us, 
to work through consecrated thumbs. You know that when you when your thumb isn't consecrated, you might have difficulty grasping things, right? And and I thought, man, Lord, that there is certainly a, a physical thing to that, but there's also a spiritual one that when when I'm not consecrated before the Lord, sometimes it's difficult to grasp what's going on. But through the sacrifice, I have a perspective. I can grasp it. And then finally, when I'm not consecrated with my toes, I'm imbalanced. God, help us to walk with consecrated big toes, especially in this moment. There are plenty of truths, as I started off saying. There are plenty of things, but there are so many issues that if you say something, you're now associated with something. You say a certain word. You say a certain thing. You, you, are, you are connected to that idea and everyone that goes with that idea. It's difficult to live in balance. It's difficult to talk about a whole host of things. Wouldn't you agree? Through consecrated living, through consecrated walking, we have, and through consecrated hearing, and through, through consecrated grasping, we have the ability, through the work of the Spirit, to live better than we could on our own. We can't do it without the blood. And you, t- you carry that into the New Testament. You carry that into communion. You carry that into the full sensory experience of understanding what Jesus has done for us. The one who, who shed his blood for us. The one who, who lived sinlessly for us. The one who paid and gave us the ultimate sacrifice so that we could be marked by blood. And so I, I hope that some of these things, as, as we've talked some about Exodus 29, will resound with you. I hope that, that you will find yourself um, participating with God and, and, and partnering with God and saying the, the yes to consecration and yes to perspective and discernment that it's okay that you're alive right now. It's, it's not just okay, it's ordained by God. It's ordained by God that you're here for this moment. And this moment that you're ordained for is not just to punish you. It's not just to to make you long for a different day or a better day. It's to be in this present moment as what? His priests. Those who are going to look different, act different. And most importantly, they're going to minister the mission of God in various different ways throughout the society and the spheres of influences that you've been given. I want to end with this, and I actually would love to invite our worship team to come back. And that song, that last song, Praise Will Be My Song, uh, I think would be a perfect way to consider some of these things. This is the last verse of this chapter. As I, I read through it, my first glance was this is what you have to do to consecrate the priests. And as I read the whole thing, I thought, God, thank you that this is not what we have to do to be consecrated because of what you've done, Jesus. And I almost just discounted every bit of it because I almost just said, well, let's just go right to the New Testament and thank Jesus for what he's done. But I'll tell you what, my understanding of what Jesus has done for us because of what those animals did for the priest had just just gave me a whole new perspective of the cross and it made me ask the question like have I just become really familiar with things like the blood of Jesus and it's just become so comfortable for me the sacrifice on the cross you know the Easter message (laughs) the gospel have I become so you know I've heard it a thousand times I've told people I've preached the gospel so have you 
Have I become so comfortable with it that I've missed the connection? That I have a connection to Jesus. His blood has cleansed my life. His body was broken for me. That, that, that I'm, I'm like touching Him in worship. Does this make sense? And, and again, that I might listen through consecrated ears and work through consecrated hands and walk through consecrated toes. But this is the, this is the why and the so what. The very last verse I read of that chapter also just go, made me go, oh. This is what it says in Exodus 29, verse 45. I will dwell among the people of Israel. I will dwell among the people of Israel. This is the tabernacle that we read about, a dwelling place, a place for God. His whole point in all this was to be able to walk in relationship with us. I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. This is the heart of God. And I believe that this is what He wants in all of our lives. That place of primary throne. There are other, no other thrones, but He is the one that we praise. He's the one that we worship. That we do it because we've been invited into relationship. And we've been invited into His mission. When it says that I am the Lord their God, it was the same way that He introduced Himself to Moses. Yahweh, the relational God, the God that can be known, the God who has a name. And so as you stand with me, and we're going to end now, I want to ask the team to lead us in this song of worship. Maybe you can take some of the things that I said and whatever's of the Lord, whatever's of the Holy Spirit, and keep it. If it just didn't resound, then store it away. And if God brings it back as seed, let it grow. But the offering of our lives in worship is this, is to say in like Romans 12, here's my life, a living sacrifice. It's not just for the guy who stands here, but it's for all of us. Here's my life, a living sacrifice. Consecrate me so that you can ordain me. Set me apart so that you can set me where you want me. Let's worship God together. I'll pray over you.
Lord, we honor you. I want to read this over you. It's a familiar passage, and just as you're worshiping the Lord, as you're remembering through the progression of humility and, and being washed clean physically, garments that are washed clean, and then given garments, and then given a, a mission ordained to, to hear and to work and to walk in a, in a way that is God-ordained, in a way that is marked by blood. I want you to hear this because these are the, the clothes that you've been given. You didn't make them, but you've been given to put them on. And the choice is to put them on, just as the, the, the priest had that choice to put them on. And the, the choice, when, when you put them on, everybody's going to know it. Everybody's going to see it. And these are some of those things. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's everybody. Everybody gets to play. God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, not just the priest. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Remember, you didn't make these clothes. Jesus is giving you these and the option to put them on. Bearing with one another. And if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you are indeed called in one body. And be thankful, and let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do with those thumbs, those thumbs that are marked by blood, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And Lord, as we stand before You and as we, we take away Exodus 29, may we take away a new hunger and thirst for righteousness, a new desire to let You be the Lord of our lives, that we would walk with You and You would dwell among us but God, give us fresh understanding. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit is doing. Give us thumbs that can grasp the depths of your love and the things that are going on in our world today, that we have that. And along with that grasp, give us big toes that can handle the weight and balance through this moment. That is our way forward, that we would be those clothed like priests, anointed of the Holy Spirit washed in the blood and connected to Jesus, the one who did it because we couldn't. And that that would never become so ordinary or normal, but we would always stand in awe and wonder that our hand is on you, Jesus. And you've done it all. We thank you and we praise you and we honor you together in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. 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 God bless you.